you're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Go with me this morning to John chapter 7. As I spoke in Sunday school this morning, such familiar passages, things that we've heard, those who've grown up in church have heard these things so many times, but they seem to always come new. They seem to always be fresh. I'm going to begin reading with verse 37, John 7, 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for, they, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. I'm going to stop there for just a minute. We need to understand briefly the context of this. I was trained by some very wise men who gave me three rules of, of biblical interpretation. Some of you know these same three rules. The first of those rules was you have to study Bible, your Bible in context. The second rule was that you have to study your Bible in context. And the third rule was you have to study your Bible in context. I have found that I could commit those to memory very quickly. We have to understand what was going on or we're going to miss something in this encounter. According to the feast, and these are the feasts that are listed in Leviticus 23. This day in particular was a day of great rejoicing. Each of the seven prior days of this feast, the priest would come through the streets with water and the water was carried in a golden vessel. The water was brought from the pool of Siloam and the priest would pour the water on the altar as the people sang. There were two purposes for these previous seven days. The first of those purposes was that God had supplied their needs of water in the wilderness all the the time that they had been there. And this was a a, a memorial, this was an honor to God and a memory of the fact that he had met that provision. The second of these things was that God had promised that that there would someday come rivers of living water out of that wilderness. Future spiritual blessing was promised. So that the, the, the priest would bring the, the, this golden vessel with, wa- with water from the pool of Siloam. He would walk through the streets. The people would gather with him. When they got to the altar, he would pour it out as the people sang a song in, in, in the book of Psalms. So that was seven days that that would occur. But on the last day, on this day, the eighth day, the priest did not carry the water. This was also to show two things. The first of those was that they weren't in the wilderness anymore, that they, had, that they had stepped into this land of promise. But the second was that they realized that their hands were still empty because the fullness of the spiritual blessing had not yet come. They were, this was an acknowledgement 
that they're still anticipating that that day would come. It's, this is probably a poor example, but when, if, you, if you go out to the cemetery, by, by tradition and history and scriptural understanding, when, when, a, when a coffin is placed in the ground, the feet are always to the east and the head is always to the west. Why do we do that? Because it's a testimony of a day that we're waiting for. It's, it's like this moment. They were waiting for something to come and they were doing something. They were acknowledging by this feast, by our actions, we're anticipating a moment that's still to come. So everybody that's buried in any cemetery that you can find is feet to the east, head to the west. Excuse me. <coughs> Why? Because there's a day coming. There's a resurrection day coming. And if, if he's going to come from that direction, then we're going to stand up face to face with him. We do that in anticipation of a day yet to come. They were doing this in anticipation of a day yet to come. Now, it's going to be quite a day when we, when we according to what we read throughout the Scripture, that we hear that trumpet blast, that Rosh Hashanah, that next feast that's going to occur. We hear that trumpet blast, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then those of us, of us who are alive and remain that's going to be quite a day. I don't think we could miss it. My suspicion is that that's going to be pretty unusual for, for West Texas. Now, other places in the world, that might be pretty common. But here, I don't see that every day. I, I've been out to the cemetery a few times. I haven't seen anybody yet stand up and face the East in anticipation. So I think it's going to be quite a day. Well, they were doing this, and no telling. I, I, could, I could probably figure it out how long they had been doing this, how many years they had been doing this in anticipation of the day that would come. Guess what? When Jesus said to them, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink, the people who understood knew that that spiritual blessing that they had been promised forever and ever ago, that that promise was now being fulfilled in their ears. The living water has come. Now we would think when, when, when Jesus sounds that trumpet and, we, and, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, that's going to be a day. And Jesus makes this announcement and he says, Jesus stood and he cried, I'm, I'm supposing that he's making this declaration. Because on this eighth day, where the very actions that they're taking, we're out here, we don't have the water today because we're acknowledging that we don't yet have the spiritual blessing. They're in the very middle of the act of acknowledging that it's coming, and when he announced it, it has come. They don't see it. It's amazing. Why didn't they expect it? Why didn't they acknowledge it? Why didn't they see it? Because it didn't match in their head what they thought that day would be like. They had already determined what they thought was going to happen. We, we see this. <clears throat> there are several times in the Scripture where, where Jesus tells them, like in Luke chapter 4, 
when he's reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, and he's reading this about setting captives free and opening prison doors and removing chains and all that stuff that he reads, the acceptable year of the Lord. And he tells them, when he finishes reading, he finishes and he, and he closes. And then he looks up and says, today that scripture is fulfilled in your ears and they run him out of town. This is a locked moment. He's saying to them, the living water has come. But what an offer. What an amazing offer. The deepest desires of the human spirit are right here captured in this. Just like in the Old Testament, in the stories we read, expressed by the figure of thirst. What a powerful moment it was when the very living water himself, that water that could quench the thirst of this woman who he met at the well, that, that man who had promised her that she would never thirst again, he's hanging on the cross, this very living water, and what does he say? He says, I thirst. Isn't that amazing, living water saying before the Father, I thirst. And Jesus is telling us right here, right now, <clears throat> if you've been expecting a spiritual blessing, if you have been living in anticipation of a day that would come, the day has come. Today, you are hearing this being fulfilled in your ears. Jesus is saying, I am that living water and anyone who would come, let him come unto me and let him drink, and let him fulfill that which he promised the woman. What an amazing picture, this eternal satisfaction of this question of thirst. To that woman of Samaria that I mentioned, he has said almost the same thing, the same terms in John chapter 4. But what, what to her was simply affirmed into this one woman as a fact, He's now turned into a worldwide proclamation. It would, it's very different for me to come to Laverne just one-on-one -on -one and say, Laverne, if you're thirsty, I've got water for you. If you'll drink of that water, you'll never thirst again. Or if I come over here to this small group, and just to, as, as he would do often in these, in these small groups, and he would say, I've got water. And if you drink that water, you'll never thirst again. He's been doing it. He's done it to one group and then to the other, whispering to them, telling them about this living water. But in this moment, he said it loud enough that you and I can still hear it today. That voice that blasted like a trumpet, that voice that announced, if anybody is thirsty, if anybody has a need, if anybody is hungry, if anybody is alone, if anybody is lost, if anybody is in any of those things captured in this word, I thirst that he is announcing to you that it has been fulfilled to you, in you, through you, by me today. You never have to wonder where the source of your help will come again. He is here. He's ready. He is prepared. He is, he is in this moment banking that announcement because this time when it says he stood and he cried, that voice is still being heard today by you and I. That that sound never stopped. It's come, it came to that group that was around him. And it's passed over them and it's gone to every generation since.
you come to me and you're thirsty, I will give you living water. Man, what a promise. And he has made it to you. He's made it to me. He's made it across generations. He had invited in Galilee for all the weary and heavy laden of the human family to come under his wing. He's, he's offered that. He had the, in the synagogue of Capernaum in John 6 announced himself in, the, and again, this variety of forms. He said, I'm the bread of life. And I'm, I, I'm able to appease your hunger. And I'm able to quench your thirst of all that seek him. He's made these big promises and announcements. But again, that which was told privately is now made publicly. I love the fact he said it publicly. He said it openly. And he said it simply. And he said it freely. He used terms that were simple and easy to understand, but they were majestic and they were full of power. Who, who this morning doesn't know what to do when you're thirsty? He used an example that was as easy for anyone to, a child can understand this. What do you do if you're thirsty? What do you do if you have that need? You drink the water that's provided to you he did this in some terms so that everyone can say, oh, I don't think I know what he meant. He used something so simple that if I know how to take a cup and get a drink, that I understand exactly what he's saying because he's saying, I have provided you this living water. Drink from what I've, what I've given you. He did it so simply. In, the, in this light, with all this that we know, they and we have but two alternatives sitting here today. Only, we only really have two. We either say with the Pharisees that uttered such words, he's guilty of death. So one of our alternatives this morning is to reject the offer. We, all, you know, we can dismiss it or we can ignore it along with the Pharisees, or we can do what Thomas did and said, my Lord and my God, on our knees before him, receiving, consuming, celebrating, praising. We have that same option. The, the difference, I mean, the situation is the same for us today as it was for them. What will our response be? to this offer of living water. I would really believe this morning that I would find it very, very difficult to consider that there's a group of people sitting here who have no need, who have no thirst. See, that's hard for me to comprehend. The sitting here this morning, that the message that God has established for this morning, He established because He knew, He knows that people in the sanctuary this morning are going to be thirsty. They're going to be confused about something going on. They're going to have relationships that don't make sense. They're going to have bills they can't pay. They're going to have struggles that they can't quite understand. He knows that. And he's bringing this message, this thing, why, why would I bring this message? Because if, if I see your need and I love you, I'm going to give you this offer of living water. What was the basis of the offer? 
I love you. He said across all generations, he announced it, for God so loved who? The world. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes would not perish but have ever, everlasting life. He made that offer. He not only wanted you to be saved, he said, I know when you're saved you're going to get thirsty. And so I'm going to make this announcement on top of the salvation that I'm going to bring. I'm going to, I want to make you a promise. I'm going to give you living water. And thank goodness we get to hear, we get to see, we get to know what that love looked like. Because in verse 39, he tells us this. We have this wonderful understanding and explanation. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. We hear in John 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus says, it's expedient that I go away. I've got to go away to deal with your sin. I've got to go away to, to, to establish righteousness in you because the minute that I establish righteousness, I can send my spirit to indwell you. And you're going to have that living water because that spirit has made a promise. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. There will never be a moment when the Spirit of God in you will, never be, will not be enough for whatever's going on in your story. He's the only one who can promise it. This is the only way that it could be filled because he's, not, he's going to tell us, <clears throat> I'm going to give you water. What he's really telling us is I'm going to give you my, the very Spirit that beats in me, this life in, in me as the Son of God that I now carry because I received it at baptism, I'm going to put that same Spirit in you. I love this piece of Hebrews chapter 11 where it has this hall of fame of faith. All these people that are listed. And I tell you what, when you, when you begin to hear that, when you begin to hear that these men and these women could shut by faith the mouth of lions, that they could overcome the enemy, that they could, that they could send armies fleeing away, by the faith that they had, we get to read that in Hebrews chapter 11. And it is a remarkable story. But at the very end, it says that those who are listed receive such a good report. But there's a conjunction there. And the conjunction says, but they did not receive the promise. Think about this. If you walked into a room where those men and women sat, all those listed, Samuel in this group, and we read about him, we, we, we understand who Samuel is. And David, we understand who David is. We, uh, we read these, these names, Sarah, we understand who these people are. And they're all seated in a room, and you walk in, they're going to get quiet. They don't want to hear the stories of Samuel anymore. They don't want to hear about David anymore. They're going to want to hear from you because you have that God that they could only know on the outside. You have that God on the inside. They want to hear what God has done through you. Because they can't even imagine what could be done if that God that they listened to and obeyed had actually been inside them, they're going to get quiet because we live on the side 
of this living water. This proclamation that was made that every need that you have will be met in me. Every story, every situation finds its answer in who I am as your Savior, who I am as your Father, who I am as the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Our choice about what we're going to do about this is all that's yet to be determined. He has shown us great demonstrations of spirit. He has shown us great demonstrations of power. He showed us on the cross. He showed us in the, on his, in the resurrection. He showed us at Pentecost. We now get to live on the side of all of that proof. I get to stand on the side of my own salvation at eight years old where I met him for the first time. I get to live on each one of these answered prayers, on the revelations that he's given, I get to stand on the history that I have between me and my Father through the Holy Spirit by the work of Jesus Christ. I get to, I get to listen to this, this offer. See, they were listening to it, and they hadn't received any of that stuff. You and I hear this offer that, come unto me, you who are thirsty, and I'll give you something to drink. We get to hear it on this side of all of that proof. We make an announcement for all the world to see. Because our receiving or our denying stands as large now as his proclamation did in that moment. You understand that? Let's see if I can make that clear. <clears throat> it says he stood and cried. He cried out. He made an announcement. I don't think he was whispering here. I think his voice carried. I think everybody present heard the offer that he was making. This was a big moment for him. This was a moment when he took a position. He stood up and he began to proclaim something and he announced who he was and that he had living water. My actions over here, how I respond to that is as large as the proclamation that was made over here. If I deny him, I'm shouting, I don't want it. I'm not, I'm not whispering under my breath, I don't want it. He made a bold offer and our response makes a bold answer. If he's going to say, if he's going to stand and cry out, here is your offer, here is this living water that will quench your thirst, then if I deny it, I have made the same type of announcement he made to me. Make sense? But if by my choice I say yes, then my life will make the same type of proclamation that his did back here, then my, by my actions, by my faith, by my life, I am declaring, and I want the world to hear the same thing through me that it heard through him. I want to be the evidence of that offer. And I don't want to play some small part. I don't want to be the supporting actor in a story that God wrote about me and him. I don't want to surrender that to anybody. I want to play the leading role in the story that God wrote about me and my relationship to him, and I don't want anything to take that away. I want my life 
to make the same proclamation at the same volume with the, with the ability to carry across generations. I want the impact of my response, my yes and my amen that touches one life or two lives or three lives. I want that to spread like a wildfire because I want the announcement of my response to him, my yes and amen, to make the same announcement to others around me that his made in that day and time. And there's no ego in that. There's no arrogance and there's no pride because I know that if I say yes to him and he's going to put his spirit in me, who's going to set the fire? He is. It's not me at all. He's just waiting for my yes and my amen. And the sound of his voice will begin to resonate through my actions because it's him it's not me at all. He makes that very, very clear. But it is a decision that we make. We get to read in the following verses, and I'm not going to read them, but we get to read these responses because in verse 40, it says, many upon hearing this responded that they thought Jesus was the prophet. Now they're talking about Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, where there's a promise of a prophet that would come. So they're announcing, I think he's the prophet. Verse 41, others said, this is the Christ. Later in verse 41, but some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? In verse 43, so there was a division among the people because of him. Think that division still exists? Probably as prominent now as it did back then because there are still some who said, can anything good come out of sundown? Can anything good come out of Bethlehem? Can this possibly be him? Can this possibly be the Christ? Because he doesn't look like what we thought. He's not behaving like we thought he would behave. He's not doing what we thought he would do. None of us could say that we are amazed that there were such varied responses because we have the same responses today. We are as uncertain as they were in that day. Again, not by the words of our mouth. Our mouth would say we trust him. Our mouth would say we love him. Our mouth would declare one thing. Our actions are going to declare another. We largely don't know who he is, and we don't trust the God that we know. And our lives tell a very marginal story. Many lives tell a religious story. He says, I have something planned so far beyond religion. I want your life. I, I, I want you to stand here as the happiest people on the face of the earth. I want the smile on your faces to radiate the joy that I've given you. I want you to know that I'm bigger than anything you could face. I want you to know that in the middle of the storm, you're going to find me walking up. You're going to watch me. You're going to see me. You're going to hear me. And you're going to know that I am God. I'm going to give visions. I'm going to give dreams. I'm going to give you revelation. I'm going to do all this stuff. This is who I am because you're my child and I love giving gifts to my children. I love giving gifts to my children. And Satan's over here whispering. He's not much of a father, is he? He's really not very good. Kind of hard to reach. I'm not sure he's even listening. Kind of, he's not answering the way I want him to answer. Not doing quite what I want him to do. And so this testimony over here begins to be 
Yeah, I, I, he's my Savior, but my story is announcing something else. The most amazing part about this is that he used words that a child could understand. He did it on purpose. On the last day of the feast, this signified to all who were listening that their actions that day were confessing that they believed someone would eventually come. I mean, when that priest went by and they got in line and they started following him through the street, seven days and now in the 8th Street, he's not carrying the water today. Every step they take is a confession that we believe someday somebody's coming and we're going to receive that spiritual blessing. So they walk up to that altar in this very strange moment and somebody says, hey, guess what, guys? The water has come. You drink, I'll quench your thirst. You know the rock you talk about in the Old Testament? The rock that was struck, I'm the rock. I'm going to be struck, and when I get struck, man, the water's going to pour. And we're still drinking out of that water. You and I are drinking today. Who will come and drink? If any man thirst, let him come unto me. <clears throat> and out of his belly, if you believe, out of your belly, over here, will flow rivers of living water. Get this picture. I, I don't want to beat this to death, but I want you to get this. He's saying, simply by acknowledging that I am telling you today that I'm the living water, and that if you want to drink from me because, I, because you believe I'm really who I say I am, and that I'm really capable of what I say I'm capable of, if you really believe that, then over here, I'm going to let rivers, rivers of living water gush out of your belly. I don't know many Christians that are gushing rivers of living water. Maybe there are, and maybe it's harder for me to see than I expect, but the promise here is if I believe, I will deliver the rivers. And it's real important that he didn't say river. What a remarkable promise. Upon belief, this is what I'll do. Not a complicated equation that we have to figure out, okay, if I get all this done, then he'll, he'll, this living water will gush out of me. And this is amazing to me. Every aspect of your life is fed by a different river. Now, he, remember, he didn't say river. He said rivers. Watch the announcement that, that as a father, I have a river. As a mother, you have a river of a provision that is feeding in to that responsibility. As a friend, you have another river that is feeding into you as a friend. If you are a prophet, there is a river feeding you prophetically. If you're a pastor, there's a river feeding you in, as, a, as a pastor. Everything you do Every role that you have, every assignment of God is a new river. And out of that role as a father 
in my relationship to Jay and Aaron and Kate as a father, there are rivers of living water, a provision that is given to me so that I can be the father that they need me to be. You can be the father. You can be the mother because there is a river feeding into you so that by you, that river of living water can be released. And at the same time, as a husband, as a wife, there's another river So I'm not having to drain one to do the other, which is our concept. I can't be all things to all people. And God says, maybe you can. Because there's this unlimited flow that's feeding each one of these things. I know that to be true. Because I would be real strange for me to have a conversation that was intended for Jay. I've got things I need to tell Jay. The problem is Jay's not sitting there. Jan's sitting there. So I start with Jan and say, Jan, I need to tell you something. And I start telling Jan about Jay's situation. That won't work because there's a provision right here. And there's a provision connected to me and Jan. And I don't get to switch them. I'm not being fed by one river. Because out of me will flow rivers of living water. Man, that's an important difference. That for every aspect of your life, everything you do, there is a resource that has been connected to the assignment and the privilege and the role. As a teacher or student, there's a vast river connected. As a prophet, a minister, a leader, a follower, a vast river of energy and a river of life. My river as a pastor is different than my river as a counselor. My river as a husband is different than my river as a father. My river as a friend is different. My river as a carpenter is different. In every role, there's a different river. And why is it then that most Christians will identify their lives as, I just feel dry. Just feel dry. Feel barren. That's an odd equation, isn't it? That I'm putting my faith and my confession, my belief in someone who says I am, I am water. And I am the abundance of it. That by me, through me as the source, I can create through you rivers of living water. And I'm dry. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com. Thank you.